0: You're listening to The Creation Academy, a weekly podcast defending the truth of God's word in biblical creation science. I'm your host, Steve Schram, and this week on the show, we are going to deal with a very, very uh, difficult and sobering topic. Uh, it's a hard topic to deal with, but I believe it's necessary, especially in the age that we currently live in. This week's lesson is on Darwin and favored races. Darwin and favored races, the loss of humanity in our culture. And we are back into our series on searching for Adam, Genesis, and the truth about man's origin. And of course, it would be hard to address the topic of man's origin without talking about uh, Darwin. And of course, the effect that Darwinism has had on our culture. Uh, Remember, You know, in the biblical understanding of humanity, we are made in the image of Almighty God. Uh, We are a special creation. This is what the Bible teaches. We uh, are not uh, separated out from a larger population group of people. This is what theistic evolutionists uh, would teach is that God simply uh, pulled us out and, and and set us aside for his purposes from this initial population of uh, somewhere around 10,000 individuals that mainstream evolutionists teach. Uh, the Bible position is, is 100% contrary to that notion. And so what we find is that an increasing number of church leaders and and and, and scholars and, and Bible teachers and pastors are accepting this idea of theistic evolutionism even when ironically there are many uh, other mainstream scientists who are challenging this idea and that's not really the focus of today's lesson so I don't want to go too far on a tangent there um, but as I'm recording this episode and'm I'm, I'm, I'm recording a couple weeks, in, in advance here in this particular case, um, but I'm recording this episode the day after Darwin's birthday. Of course, if, if you don't know who I'm referring to, um, I'm, I'm sure you do, but just in case you don't, a man named Charles Darwin came along in 1859, wrote a book called The Origin of Species um, and, uh, and, and the Preservation of Favored Races. Uh, In the Struggle for Life, I believe was the subtitle of that, something like that. And um, Darwin, while I don't want to blanket accuse him of being a racist, if you will read his works, uh, The Origin of Species and The Descent of Man, uh, which was was released a few years later, I do believe you are going to have a hard time defending any other position. Um, It sure appears to me like Darwin's conclusions that he reached about the origin of mankind was that there were races of human beings who were superior to other races of human beings and the fact that he believed that is is pretty evident from the others who tacked on to this idea and used that for their own benefit and you will see exactly what I mean by that uh, by the time we get to the end of this lesson. It's a very sobering lesson. It's a difficult lesson to have to teach, um, but I believe it's important and it's something that we need to know. Uh, And the reason is because in this this day when we are simply enshrouded with racism, even today in 2018, we need to understand the origin of racism. You see, as a blanket hole, of course, there's always been cultural standings. There have been upper class people, there have been lower class people, Um, certain people rising to the top of the cultural um, echelon, if you will. Uh, This is not a new phenomenon. But the idea of biological racism um, was really incited by Darwin's ideas. And though this idea has been eradicated um officially quote unquote okay especially in the mainstream um it's it it's legacy still lives on today uh, in in organizations like Planned Parenthood and uh, the whole uh, abortion uh, movement it's really just a form of of something called eugenics and we're we're going to deal with that as we go through this lesson i don't want to get ahead of myself um but it's going to be very important that we know how to respond uh, in, a, in a world of racism. Um, unfortunately, this, uh, this has been even attributed, this idea of racism has even been attributed to those within the church. And really, those within the church are the only ones who have the correct foundation for the origin of humanity, for, for humanity to be treated special, for all of humanity to be treated equally. Equality is a Christian value, and let me just, um, to, to be a bit more succinct so we don't go too broad with that, racial equality is a Christian value, because we're all separated and made in the image of God. We're going to talk about that this week. Now, uh, this particular chapter in our book, Searching for Adam, Genesis and the Truth About Man's Origin, again, I encourage you to go pick up the book and uh, go back a few lessons ago to to uh, our, our lesson, Is Adam the Real Deal? That's the beginning of this series. If you haven't been with us the whole time, and uh, we, we had a few episodes um, that deviated off the beaten path, but for, for the last little while, we've been going through uh, the series, and this particular chapter was written by Dr. Jerry Bergman. Now he teaches uh, science at the Northwest State Community College. In Archbold Ohio at least he did at the time of this writing and um, he has nine earned degrees uh, one master's degree uh, and a, or excuse me five master's degrees I apologize and then a PhD in human biology which he got from Columbia Pacific University he's published 38 books and monographs over his 1,000 publications uh, are, are both uh, there in scholarly scholarly and popular science journals um, He's done a lot of work I've heard Dr. Bergman called one of the most prolific writers uh, in the creation science movement And uh, he really uh, has put a lot of good work out there um, He's actually come under criticism and under fire um, I, And it might be for his PhD I think um, there were issues with his university Something maybe about a financial issue or something with his university And he's been criticized um, for that, uh, for, for 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 attending a university that had problems. Of course, um, uh, it tends to be that uh, whenever uh, there's something in the past of a creation science, especially with regard to their education, uh, that somebody can pick on, it seems that uh, that's where the evolutionists go first. If you mention Dr. Jerry Bergman in a conversation, it's likely that somebody's going to come up and say, well, hey, didn't you know about this degree? I've had that happen before. Um, and I just asked them what they thought about his other eight degrees. Uh, which did come from reputable universities that nobody's got a problem with. All right. So um, and and so I think Dr. Dr. Bourbon is a great resource. I think he's an excellent historian, which if you read this chapter, you'll see it's it's a great chapter. It's staggering how much we've had to skip uh, just to fit it into this lesson. And um, I think you'll really see that he's done his research and uh, and he knows what he is talking about. So getting into um, uh, getting into his arguments, uh, in this chapter of the book, he kind of says that this introduction of Darwin's ideas into popular thinking brought about a paradigm shift in the way we thought about the world. So this is how we, he, he, he really starts this thing out. And what does that really mean? Uh, well, Bergman comments this. He says, although humans were... Historically divided into language and national groups, categorizing humans by physical characteristics is a relatively new approach. And this is what we were talking about uh, in my introduction to the show a little while ago. Uh, In other words, he says, The main way of grouping people in the past was based on their national origin, such as Assyrian or Egyptian, but not biology. Only after Darwin were people commonly divided into groups on the basis of biology, i.e. purely physical traits such as skin, eye, and hair color. Of course, now why is this? Well, the Darwinian, you know, idea of, of evolution um, and, the, and the philosophy behind that. By the way, Darwin was not a, a, a geneticist. Um, evolution did not start as a scientific discipline. Um, In in many ways, I would say that it is still not a scientific discipline. Now, that does not mean that the theory of evolution itself is not a scientific theory, because it is. It's a very successful scientific theory, Uh, the theory of evolution has amazing explanatory and even predictive power. But the idea of evolution itself is actually a philosophy. And of course, it started when Darwin observed finches on the Galapagos Island that had different beak sizes. All right. And recent studies of those very uh, same populations and such of finches have shown that this is really due to something called epigenetics, all right? And and we can um, talk about that. We will talk about that another time. You can actually read about that a little bit on my blog. I'll give you a brief introduction into what epigenetics is. Um, And I'll link you to that in the show notes. Um, But essentially, Darwin realized that there were groups of organisms um, that had uh, differences, physical traits, and things that were different, and so he, um, he, 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 essentially created this philosophy of thinking that all creatures, everywhere, plants, animals, humans. We all shared a common ancestor. That was the philosophy, okay? And so, science, mainstream scientists have been working since uh, around 1859 when Darwin wrote uh, The Origin of Species, have been working to uh, essentially confirm this. Hypothesis, and because of the nature of this philosophy, um, it, it, you can 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 formulate different ways of categorizing. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's called a biosystematics. All right, you can characterize individuals based on certain characteristics um, about them, and that goes for for plants animals, humans. Um, the most current method of doing this in the evolutionary perspective is called cladistics. Um, and the current method of this categorization that uh, categorization, excuse me, that, uh, creationists subscribe to is called baromenology. And of course on the cladistics end, we use the Linnaean classification system ultimately brings us through, you know, kingdom, phyla, um, genus, species, family, um, the different levels. Okay. so um, basically, because of what Darwin proposed, we were able to divide in different ways based on the biology of a person. And so his introduction of those ideas uh, into the mainstream scientific community is what eventually brought that on. Now, a Bergman comments here that um, Stephen Jay Gould concluded from his study of racism that biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1850, but they increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory. So even if we don't accuse Darwin of racism, let's just back up that far. Let's say we don't accuse Darwin of racism. Let's say we don't accuse um, any of his followers or anybody who picked up on his ideas directly of having racist intentions. By the way, we're going to see that they do. But for the sake of argument, let's assume that that's not the case even just based on the philosophy alone itself, the fact that we can divide humans based on on these certain characteristics and traits, just the introduction of this uh, philosophy is is quite easy to see that it will make room for this kind of activity. If the human proclivity, if the human propensity um, is to is sinful, as the Bible expects and, and predicts, um, then we are always going to find a way. Especially uh, concerning matters of of pride, right? Pride cometh before a fall, according to the Bible, uh, but pride cometh after a fall, also according to Genesis, right, in the Bible. Uh, Pride came after a fall, and um, 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 ultimately—well, you know, even that's not really accurate to say, because if you think about it, the original sin was really a sin of pride. It was Eve saying that she she liked what the serpent said. She said, yeah, uh, I would like to know the difference between good and evil. So really, pride cometh before a fall is true, and also pride cometh before the fall is true, if you really think about that. And um, the the fact of the matter is, is that as humans, we are a, a, a prideful being. I, ha- I have to pray uh, to God all the time personally in my personal prayer time to take pride away from me because it is something um, that I struggle with. Um, and I don't want to think of myself uh, any higher than I ought to think, right? So um, the idea is that if there is a philosophy which is going to let one human being think somehow that he is better than another, he is going to exploit that philosophy to his own gain to do just that. That is, I think, confirmed by our experience. So what is now the biblical view on race. Uh, when we think of race, um, uh, you know, according to uh, the Bible, how, how do we glean a, a proper understanding? Well, there are a few things to consider. The first thing we need to think about is that there is only one race, Adam's race. Um, there, there's no getting away from that. If the Bible is true, if special creation is true, then human beings, of course, were created on day six. If you go through your creation days, we were created on day six, and every human being thereafter is a child of Adam. Or Eve. This is why Adam is called the federal head of humanity. This is why in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Right? If you accept and believe on His name, so we are we uh, we are descendants of the first Adam. Uh, we have no choice. We are simply from Adam's race. We are affected by Adam's fall, but this is good news. You say, it's the fall. It can't be good news. Well, it, it it's good news because it means there's no such thing as racism. It means no one in a, in a Bible worldview, in a perfect Bible world, there's no such thing as racism. There's no such thing as different races. All right? Now, inevitably, you say, well why are there different cultures? Why are there different um, languages? Surely these are all racial uh, divisions, all right? But it's not exactly that way, and we're going to look at that. Um, Bergman says here, the first male named Adam in Genesis 2 was created from the dust of the earth, not a pre-existing animal, and the first woman named Eve in Genesis 3 was made from the rib of Adam, Genesis 2, 22. Genesis 3:20 20 says that Eve was the mother of all living, and 1 Corinthians 15, 45 affirms that Adam was the first man. Genesis 5 gives us the genealogy from Adam to Noah and his sons. and Genesis 10, 32 informs us that from them all the people on the earth descended Of course if you know your Bible you're familiar with that chapter it's known as the table of Nations So we do have one race but thanks to the Tower of Babel incident everything changed and I was just actually just reading in a book about this yesterday I, I don't think most Christians realize that the significance of Babel. You know, it's got a few verses in, in, in you know, in chapter 11 uh, of Genesis, and we just kind of skim over it and we think, oh, so this is why we have different languages. And this is true. This is why we have different languages. But it goes much, much deeper than that. Um. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches, and this was so cool when I was reading about this, the Bible teaches, um, and forgive me, I don't have it in front of me, so um, I'm kind of going on memory if this is the exact wording, Um, but I believe it says something to the fact of that everybody was of one lip and of one tongue. In other words, it separates it out. I think the distinction is between lip- and tongue, and if you look back into cultural thought in that day, they actually thought about um, um, your your speech, or or they thought about human communication in kind of a double layer uh, approach. In other words, there were um, the actual words that you say, right? The, 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 the actual language that you speak, okay. But then, of course, there is also the thoughts that they think. And, and and somehow there was to be, of course, they didn't know how this was before uh, modern science. Um, but there was, of course, a difference to, um, be made between, um, the thoughts that one thought and of course the words that one spoke. And when you thought about those things, um, separately, you see um, how significant it is that God spread out the languages because he divided them of their lip and their tongue. So what this means is that he not only changed their language, but he literally changed the way that these different um, um, cultures even would think. And this explains the vast cultural Diversity that we see uh, today, right? It, it it we see completely different mindsets if you go from the east to the west. And you look, I mean, these these things originated because their, their 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 speech was changed, but their whole way of thinking about the world was changed as well. And ultimately, we know that Christ is the one who can unify. Remember, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no difference, right, under Christ. Christ can unify, but when when we were split out the tab- at the at the Tower of Babel, though we remained one race, we were split into different cultures, different people groups. We had different languages, uh, different cultural distinctions, and even different physical characteristics based on what part of the world even that we went to. So we, we have to think of the Tower of Babel as something much bigger than God just confusing the languages. It was so much more than that. God confused languages. He confused Thoughts uh, In many ways, these cultures would have to resort back to a primitive understanding. See, a lack of understanding about the Tower of Babel incident has led to a lack of understanding um, writ large within the biblical movement about how the Bible's timeline can make sense with the rest of the world. Um, we find stone tools and such uh, in the in the fossil record uh, with Neanderthals and things like that, uh, and, and different fossil humans that are that are are generally seen as some kind of evolutionary idea about uh, lower evolved life forms that are just beginning to build stone tools and things like that. But this is not how it is. If we just look at the Bible, if we just read the Bible and understand that there was a worldwide catastrophe in which everybody was wiped out, Noah's family gets off the Boat. They're all of one mind. They're all of one language. They get off. And eventually they start spreading and they start having children and 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 eventually the world population increases and increases and increases. And here they go, once again, becoming evil in the sight of God. And rather than judge them this time with a worldwide flood and just wiping everybody out, God says, Look, we're gonna confuse the languages, we're gonna make it so that they cannot um um have this unified rebellion against me. And he spreads out their languages. He spreads out their thoughts. And as a result of that, everybody is back to square one. They're back to square one. So they go and they they, they don't have, uh, you know, where before everybody had one mindset, everybody had one thought pattern. They had uh, different people skilled in different trades, but they could all work together. They could all communicate. They all thought the same. But this was entirely different after it was spread. Likely there were communities who had to learn how to start building from the ground up. There were probably communities spread out where there was no and there was not anybody with an architectural mindset or or even a carpentry mindset. I mean these people would be building stone tools and things like that. It was completely Primitive, and so you have to understand. We have explanations for the way that the world actually is. We, we we can look in the ground, and 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 see these biblical events as they happen, man, right before our eyes, if we're only looking for them. And so understand the significance of. That well, I spent much more time on that than I planned to, but I think that's the most important part. We could talk for days about how those who followed Darwin were 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 racist, but 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 let's get it straight: the biblical origin of humanity, what the Bible claims about about our origins, absolutely makes sense. So then, what about the development of racism? Where did this Idea come from. All right, so um, there is often more genetic diversity within a given racial group than between any two races. So, um, as we're looking at this issue, we need to consider the fact that even though there were those who um, who who abused. Uh, Darwin's ideas here, we now know, and, 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 and even though they may have reflected Darwin's thinking, we now know that there is often more actual genetic diversity within racial groups than between any two races. So the whole premise, by the way, is a false premise. Um, this is why and I, I, I've started reading it, but I haven't finished it yet. I'm reading a book by Dr. Nathaniel Jensen called Replacing Darwin. Uh, and, and one premise of the book is essentially that Darwin had no knowledge of genetics when coming up with this philosophy okay, of evolutionism. So we need to understand that we have more information now uh, that the, the, the Darwin did not have, and one of the questions um, that Jeanson proposes is the book: is if Darwin were alive today, would Darwin still be a Darwinist? Would Darwin still be? A Darwinist, and I think that's something interesting to 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 ask. So uh, Bergman uh, continues here. Darwin's cousin Francis Galton, the originator of the field of eugenics, that was the backbone of biological racism, was one of the founding fathers of several important branches of science, including anthropology. It was not that significant as the father of the eugenics movement. In the end, his work resulted not only in the Holocaust but also in the loss of millions of lives, both in Europe and asia and galton's views man they were they were they were rough he believed that race improvement was noble that it was a noble cause and even a religious get this this is galton this is darwin's cousin working off of darwin's philosophical ideas now this is real history don't don't get mad at me don't shoot the messenger this is real history he believed that race improvement was a religious Obligation, And his writings ultimately influenced governmental policy, even in Nazi Germany. Bergman writes that, as the leading British evolutionary anthropologist, Sir Arthur Keith, wrote, To see evolutionary measures and tribal morality being applied rigorously to the affairs of a great modern nation, we must turn again to the Germany of 1942. We see Hitler devoutly convinced that evolution produces the only real basis for a national policy. The German Führer, as I have consistently maintained, is an evolutionist. He has consciously sought to make the practices of Germany conform to the theory of evolution. And so when we see these objections raised, and being an apologist, I have encountered this numerous times, Uh, didn't you know that Hitler... Was a Christian? They say. Didn't you know that Hitler used the Bible to justify such mass genocide? Um, you know, the, the theologian in me. Okay, uh, for whatever uh, for, for whatever that may be worth to you, um, you can you can take any verse of the Bible and make any philosophy you want to. You can take scripture out of context and use the Bible to justify anything, slavery, anything. Um, polygamy, anything. I mean, you could you literally, if you take one verse in the Bible and you pick and choose other proof texts for it. This is why you have to be very careful when proof texting and consider context and all kinds of factors, because you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. That doesn't mean it's what the Bible actually teaches. So um, this is a case where where um, where Hitler can say whatever he wants to, but the ideas that he applied to the extermination of the Jews, are not Christian. I mean, just think about that. This is not a Christian. I, Hitler was not a Christian. He was not a Christian. Hitler, this was an evolutionary idea, this idea of a superior race. Now, what's even more troubling is that the leaders of eugenic racism were academics. They were academics. In fact, Berwin writes that most all leaders of the various scientific racist movements were academics with PhDs from leading universities, consisting of uh, a virtual who's who of the natural and social scientists of the time. Don't believe me? Here's a few examples. One leading geneticist, or excuse me, eugenicist, Charles Davenport, was a Harvard PhD. Another eugenicist, Dr. Harvey E. Jordan, was a noted uh, eugenicist and racist, quote, was professor of embryology and later dean of the College of Medicine at the University of Virginia. John Hopkins University professor of biostatics and genetics, Dr. Raymond Pearl, was a leading eugenicist who researched what he claimed was the, quote, racial pathology, unquote, of blacks compared to whites, these were the scientific authorities of the day. These were the medical authorities of, of, of the day. They were not some homegrown uh, movement. Um, these were the academics, and yet they led eugenic racism. Um, I wrote recently about five myths of higher education in, in, in peer review, And, um, of course, I didn't speak directly to this issue. uh, But, you know, education is a great thing. I'm not against education. I I think all Christians um, should be highly educated. As a matter of fact, I think they should be more highly educated than most are. And um, I think that there is an academic side to Christianity that um, maybe doesn't always shine through the way that it should. Um, But point being... Um, Education is not going to solve all your problems. And education does not mean that you subscribe to a a better or a more correct or even a remotely right philosophy. It doesn't matter how educated. Your level of education does not magically um, um, mean that your philosophical ideas about the world are better than somebody else's. And in this case, we can certainly see that they were not. The highly educated were eugenic racist. Does that mean that we should have followed them? No. They were still wrong. By the way, maybe that be that way today. Anyway, um, they they they're maybe they're not eugenic racist. Many of them, although I would argue that if they're in support of, of, of abortion, that they are eugenicists. Um, and I have no problem arguing that. I think abortion is child murder, and I, I think that it is part of the eugenics movement. We're gonna see that. But the the point is that um, there are alternative ideas about the world other than evolution. Like special creation, and these are completely valid scientific ideas that are worthy of consideration, in my humble opinion. In fact, I think in many cases the creationist data explains the world better than evolutionist data, and we see that as we go on throughout this podcast. Few of uh, things just going through the history. Okay, this is this is mainly a history lesson this time. All right, it's a little disturbing, unfortunately, but uh, this is this is this is the world that we live in, so we're going to look at some of this history. Um, Racism limits uh, immigration, right, into the United States. Uh, notice this. In the United States alone, 63,000 victims were sterilized, and major new immigration restrictions, especially of Jews, were codified in the Johnson-Reed Act of 1924. The main goal of these immigration restrictions was to keep those races that had, quote, bad germ plasm unquote, out of America and to stop other countries from pouring their pestilential sewage into our reservoir. That was a quote, by the way. The pestilential sewage. Uh, Dr. Harry Laughlin, the uh, superintendent of the Eugenics Record Office at the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, fervently promoted the racist cause, maintaining that compared to past immigration, quote, recent immigrants from... Eastern and Southern Europe were afflicted by a high degree of insanity, mental deficiency, and criminality, unquote, that was polluting America's racial stock. He also, uh, Dr. Laughlin did, or Laughlin, appeared before Congress several times in the early 1920s to promote his belief that immigration was foremost a biological problem, i.e., a racism issue. The fact is that uh, science, was the language of authority in the 19th century. Consequently, racism became mainstream with its support. So we see that even entrance into the United States was a racist issue, a biological racist issue, even a eugenics issue. Well, what about medical authorities and the inferiority of blacks moving down the timeline a little while? George M. Gould, editor of American Magazine, a leading medical journal at the turn of the 20th century, wrote in 1907 in support of the conclusions of a a Dr. Robert B. Bean. Gould said that no amount of training will cause the blacks' race, quote, brain to grow into the Anglo-Saxon form, unquote. Following Bean, gold claimed proof of and quote, anatomical basis for the complete failure of Negro schools to import the higher to impart the higher studies, unquote, to their black students. Here's a brief timeline. Franklin Mall provides research in which he um, could find no significant difference between black and white, Brain structures, all right? So here's a man who decided, look, we're, we're going to go against the status quo. We're going to look and see from a scientific perspective um, if these guys are right, if the philosophy is right. This was Mr. Maul, all right? And I believe he was a professor. Um, maybe not. I uh, didn't write that down, okay? But um, he, he provides research in which he could find no differences, all right, between black and white brain structures. Um, his work was ignored. <laughs> Imagine that, all right? His work was completely ignored. Um Bergman writes that Harvard-educated Carlton Kuhn stated that each race, which he called a subspecies, has reached its own level on the evolutionary scale, and the gap between blacks and whites is, get this now, unbridgeable and permanent. 1961, Professor Kuhn, this man who said that the gap between blacks and whites is unbridgeable and permanent, He was elected president of the American Association of Physical Anthropologists. He published papers in which he concluded that African races were less evolved. Kuhn added the latest genetic and evolutionary biological techniques to his argument, plus the findings of the fossil record, all of which he argued supported his racism, as did research on blood groups, hemoglobins, and other Biochemical features. So we see again that this racism was um, profoundly in the medical community. The medical leaders and authorities of these days uh, believed that there was profound differences between blacks and whites. And again, this just lends more credence. Now, by the way, to to the idea that that this is strictly. or or at least originally or, or, or mainly a philosophy. And here's what I mean by that. Kuhn added. Of course, we just read that he was able to make his biological techniques conform to the evidence to support his racism. He did research on blood groups, hemoglobins, and other biochemical features. Well, if, if 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 that's the gospel truth, right? If, that, if those things, if, if if those evidence were God honest facts and truths that supported his racism, why are they not supported today? Why why are they not? Um, Pelleted out there today. Why? Why? Why are Why are we not told? Look, racism is a fact because of these scientific facts. I'll tell you why? Because it's a philosophy. Science. The great philosopher C.S. Lewis said that science only gives you the questions and answers the questions that you ask of it, and this is the bottom line, right? When the philosophy of of an anti racist idea was reintroduced into the culture and everybody wanted to get on that train well then we started using scientific evidence to um approve that conclusion science answers the questions that you ask it the question is are you asking it the right questions this is what we need to discover. This, in my mind, this is the whole creation versus evolution controversy. Why do we think that biological evolution, or, or, or why does uh, the mainstream believe that biological evolution is the true origin of humanity? Because when we've asked it the questions to confirm the hypothesis, that's what we come up with. And by the way, uh, scientists say that they uh, part of their uh, work is to uh, is as much about um, um, uh, falsifying their ideas as it is about confirming them. Well, sure. I mean, in a way, that's absolutely true. But the point of, of the matter is that this um, this idea of biological evolution is, is past the point of of a hypothesis that somebody is trying to falsify. At this point, they have just accepted it as fact there's plenty of falsifying evidence i mean there's plenty of evidence out there that shows that that evolution is is not a a smart idea in many senses of the term um they don't know how the whole process got started. In order for the process of evolution to get started, it has to violate a scientific law. Okay, so that's an issue, right? I mean, so it's not to say that evolution, in the sense that it is a way of um, producing research within a biological framework, um, in the sense that you can classify organisms, create phylogenetic trees and such like that from the uh, relationships. I, I mean, I'm not saying that that evolution is a dumb, unscientific um, idea in all of its ways. Okay, I'm not saying that, but uh, certainly there are elements of the evolutionary story which are, uh, at, especially at a common sense level, um, quite fantastic, quite quite unbelievable. Um, and so I think that's something worthy of consideration. But the, but the point is that this man believed in a philosophy of racism. He used the scientific research to support his. Conclusions: Did the science change? No, no. The, 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 the science didn't change. The questions that we started asking changed. What about race and reason? Bergman writes, one of the most notorious racist books of the last century, Putnam's Race and Reason, A Yankee View uh, in 1961, was published by the prestigious Public Affairs Press of Washington, D.C., The level of academic support for racism is indicated by the laudatory introductions by Ruggles Gates, Ph.D., Henry Garrett, Ph.D., DSC, Robert Gare, DSC, and Wesley C. George, Ph.D., all eminent Darwinist scientists teaching at major universities. In fact, it was this book that began KKK leader David Duke's intellectual journey to become the most infamous 20th century racist. And this goes right into the Ku Klux Klan. Bergman writes that the Klan often exploited the literature of the eugenic scientists to justify their racism. Remember, this philosophy. And some scientists even openly worked in support of the KKK's racist agenda. For example, historian Luthrop Stoddard helped to support the Klan on race matters by doing quote, scientific research to uh, prove racism. And in 1923, was documented to actually be a Klan member. And here's what Stoddard wrote. He said, If current trends continued, whites would eventually be subjugated to blacks because non-whites were reproducing far more rapidly than whites. And quote that blacks would always be savages and their increasing dominance would eventually be disastrous for white society. Folks, this philosophy was born out of Darwinism. When we reject the Bible, when we reject the biblical origin of humanity, when we stop thinking in terms that all humanity is special because we're made in the image of God, this is the natural outworking <clears throat> excuse me of such a philosophy. Moving into American eugenics and Nazism. Bergman says that leading German biologists actively and without compunction sought to apply eugenics to their society. And to a significant degree, Nazi eugenic zeal was inspired by American eugenics supporters. Furthermore, uh, various American f- uh, philanthropists, such as the Rockefeller Foundation, awarded large scientific grants to German eugenicist researchers, both before and for several years after the rise of Hitler. And even as the world recoiled in horror at the ways in which the Nazi integrated eugenics into their political philosophy, mass sterilizations, and concentration camps, American eugenicists continued to support it. Their Nazi brethren. The ties here are just unbelievable. When you look at the history of the world and you look at the way that, uh, you look at the direction that America has moved in, oh, it, it's just so influenced by this way of thinking, even today. Bergman continues that the Nazis were so grateful for the help of American scientists in developing their own racist eugenic program that, as noted, several were awarded honorary documents, uh, doctorates, excuse me, from Major German universities. For one example, in 1935, Harry Laughlin was uh, awarded an honorary degree from the University of Heidelberg for being one of the most important pioneers in the field of racial hygiene. That's a direct quote. Another example, Bergman writes, of Nazi and American support for each other's eugenic programs occurred after a 1935 visit to Berlin when the head of the Eugenic Research Association, Clarence Campbell, proclaimed that Nazi eugenic policy, quote, sets a pattern for which other nations and other racial groups must follow if they do not wish to fall behind in their racial quality, in their racial accomplishments, and in their prospects for survival, unquote. Finally, in 1937, American Eugenicists distributed a Nazi eugenic propaganda film to promote the eugenic cause in the United States. By the way, if you don't know what eugenics is, it's this idea of one race better than another race and literally exterminating inferior races. It's alive and well today. We're going to see that in just a minute. Here's what Hitler said. You question Hitler's philosophy? Here's what he said. While nature only allows the few most healthy and resistant out of a large number of living organisms to survive in the struggle for life, people restrict the number of births and then try to keep alive what has been born without consideration of its real value and its merit. Humaneness is therefore only the slave of weakness, thereby in truth, the most cruel destroyer of human existence. Does that sound like a Christian biblical worldview to you? This is an evolutionary idea. This is the idea that there is a superior race and that we need to get out with the old and in with the new. This is the idea that natural selection, that nature is God and that nature makes the rules. Jonathan Sachs wrote that the Holocaust did not take place long ago and far away. Rather, it occurred in the heart of rationalist, post-enlightenment liberal Europe, the Europe of Kant and Hegel, Goethe and Schiller, Beethoven and Brahms. Some of the epicenters of anti-Semitism were places of cosmopolitan, avant-garde culture like Berlin, In Vienna, the Nazis were aided by doctors, lawyers, scientists, judges, and academics. More than half of the participants at the Wannsee conference in January 1942 who planned, quote, the final solution to the Jewish question, unquote, the murder of all of Europe's Jews, carried the title doctor. Dr. Frankel famously concluded that, quote, the gas chamber's of Auschwitz were the ultimate consequence of the theory that man is nothing but the product of heredity and environment, or as the Nazis like to say, of blood and soil. I am convinced that, I am absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Treblinka, and M- Medanik, uh, excuse me if I'm not getting that right, were ultimately prepared not in some ministry in Berlin, but rather at the desks and in the lecture halls of nihilistic scientists. Philosophers. Hmm. So essentially, what he's saying there is those who were fatalists; those who believed that there was no God, that 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 humanity is God, and that there is no ultimate end, no ultimate uh, no ultimate purpose past the uh, succession and survival of the human race were the ones who ultimately led to the destruction caused by the Holocaust. What about Darwinism's uh, influence worldwide? Karl Marx, uh, just briefly, Bergman writes that after Marx had read The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin, he wrote a letter to LaSalle in which he exults that God, in the natural scientists at least, had been given the death blow. By the way, Marx began as a Christian. He he's got pages and pages on Marx. That's all we're gonna say about him. But uh, Marx was a Christian. I believe he had a Lutheran upbringing, and ultimately, uh, he uh, his ideas resulted in 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 a myriad number of deaths. Uh, I think up into the millions, probably. Um, that his ideas resulted from. He ultimately became a a Darwinist. He uh, thought that. Uh, considering different social levels, there were those who were higher evolved than others. The Japanese, oh gosh, he writes, uh, he writes for uh, for for it might even be ten or fifteen pages about the Japanese, but I just want to give a couple things here. The Japanese sadism was widely influenced uh, by by Darwin. Quote: One of the best examples of racism inspired by Darwinism was the extreme Japanese sadism exhibited during World War II. The Japanese of the last century believed that they were the master race of Asia, superior not only to non-Orientals, but also all people of Chinese, Korean, Filipino, Mongolian, Pacific Islander slash Polynesian, and those of other Asian descent. He writes that one reason that the Japanese people readily accepted The concept of evolution was because, lacking Christianity, there was no religious opposition. You see, Christianity teaches that humanity is special. All this, Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, racial equality. I've got a couple articles I'll link you to that I've written on this before, Uh, I'll put them in the show notes. All of these are Christian ideas, they're Christian values. They have no basis in the mainstream scientists, uh, scientists, uh, sciences, excuse me, and they most certainly have no basis in the philosophical idea of Darwinism. Then, Dr. Bergman writes on the movement back toward the biblical view of race. quote "Francis Boaz, 1858 through 1942, a Jewish anthropologist was critical in the eventual overflow or overthrow Excuse me, of the racist foundation in the field of anthropology. One major theme of Boaz was that anthropology had succumbed to premature generaliz- generalization um, based on evolutionary theories that distorted the realities of cultural diversity. It was Boaz and his student Ruth Benedict who, quote, challenged racism, both under Hitler and at home. Catholic writer H.G. Chesterton, who lived from 1874 to 1936, was one of the rare voices to oppose eugenics in the early 20th century. He saw right through it as fraudulent on every level, and he predicted where it would lead with great accuracy. His critics were legion. They reviled him as reactionary, ridiculous, ignorant, hysterical, incoherent, and blindly prejudiced, noting with dismay that his influence in leading people in the wrong direction is considerable. The Catholic Church's hostility to Darwinism at this time, combined with the fact that Nazi eugenics struck at the heart of Catholic teaching on the sanctity of human life, also was important in opposing racism-based eugenics. Moving on to probably one of the most sad realities after birth abortions. After birth abortions. The logical next step in the abortion movement is after birth or postpartum abortions. That is, killing a child after he or she is born. A study of this practice concluded that infanticide is a part of the maternal instinct programmed into our genes by evolution professor sarah blaffer hurdy argued that if female animals perceive that they do not have the resources to rear their infants mothers aborted abandoned and even killed their offspring she then astonishingly applied this theory to homo sapiens continuing this moral atrocity Medical ethicists affiliated with England's Oxford University argued that, quote, parents should be allowed to have their newborn babies killed because they are morally irrelevant and ending their lives is no different than abortion, unquote. You see where this leads? See where this leads? but we, we now can have newborns killed. You see, there's no difference, really, and they realize this. There is no difference between a human being inside of the womb and outside of the womb. And there are those even today pushing for this idea. In fact, uh, Bergman writes that these ideas were recently championed in the United States by Princeton University professor of ethics, Peter Singer, who advocates the view that newborns lack the essential characteristics of personhood, by which he means a being that, quote, is capable of anticipating the future, of having wants and desires for the future, quote, unquote. And for this reason, quote, newborn babies have no sense of their own existence over time, so killing a newborn baby is never equivalent to killing a person, unquote. This is a man living today, a professor of ethics. Whose ethics? Not God's ethics. Not the Bible's ethics. uh, Not objective moral ethics. No, not, 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 not this man. He also argued that a parent should be able to take a newborn back to the hospital within a certain period of time, such as 28 days, to be euthanized if they feel it does not possess the level of health that they expected or desired. Continuing on in that thinking, quoted as well-documented that Darwin's origin of species had a profound influence on a lady named Margaret Sanger, on her thinking, including her conversion to and active support of eugenics. Eugenics, uh, excuse me, Sanger was uh, specifically concerned with reducing the population of the less-fit including inferior races, quote, such as, quote, Negroes. Sanger worked hard to spread her eugenic ideas about, quote, human weeds, unquote, not only in America, but also to the rest of the world. Eugenics, sterilization, and birth control projects on a large scale became an Anglo-American export. By the way, Margaret Sanger was the founder of the leading abortionist Uh, organization today that we all know as Planned Parenthood. Bergman writes that she also openly advocated sexual license, then called, quote, free love, providing much energy for the sexual revolution. The rebellion against morality that she helped to incite has radically changed Western society. To the end of her life, she supported eugenics. In one of her last speeches, she attacked welfare programs for not eliminating the feeble-minded and unfit, and proposed incentive sterilization, which was actually a program to bribe the, quote, unfit, unquote, to be sterilized. This is just the sad, logical outworking, the necessary outworking of the worldview that says that we have just evolved from a single common ancestor. Ultimately, somebody is going to win in the so-called struggle for life. And by this logic, there is no reason to help our fellow man there is no reason for human rights. There is no basis for human ethics. There is no, uh, the, the golden rule should not even be a thing. The, this world we live in is so inconsistent in the way it preaches and teaches that we should have rights and ethics and respect for all mankind. And, and this it's completely, it's 100% counter to the worldview which they all hold, which says that we ought to be in the struggle for life, doing everything that we possibly can to survive. If evolution is true, if the Darwinian philosophy is true, then to live by that philosophy would mean that it should be every man for himself. Only the strongest survive. That is the natural outworking of that philosophy. For anyone to hold to something counter to that, to hold to the biblical idea of humanity without holding to the origin of humanity, the biblical origin of humanity, is what most of this world does, and they're living in this complex gobbledygook of inconsistency in this worldview where their right hand doesn't even know their left hand. they, they, They espouse to The philosophy of one worldview and deny its history. They espouse to Christian ideas, Christian values, Christian ideals, but they try to attach it to a history that is completely inconsistent. And the ultimate, the ultimate culmination of this inconsistency is seen when one calls themselves a Christian and espouses to the theory of biological evolution. In the sense of a molecules to man, fish to philosophers idea. Of course, we realize that species change. Change over time. Natural selection is just fine. It's a creationist idea. We have no no problem with that whatsoever. Change over time within kinds of organisms does not amount to the struggle uh, for life, the survival of the, of, of the fittest in the sense that we should all be uh, trying to, uh, to outwit one another or to eliminate one another. There's no philosophical problems with natural selection in itself. The philosophical problems are attached to this fish-to-philosophers evolutionism idea and this inconsistent worldview that one has when they believe in Christian ethics and values, but they despise the history of special creation laid out in the Word of God. Bergman writes a few things in conclusion that I'd like to read to you, and then we'll be done. Ashley Montague's 1942 book titled, Man's Most Dangerous Myth, The Fallacy of Race, uh, was in 1942. Montague and, uh, and, and other anthropologists have finally moved the scientific consensus against the Darwinian racist view to the current view that the origin of all humans appears as if they descended from a single pair of parents. Columbia University anthropologists Ruth Benedict and Jean uh, Wellfish il- illustrated this uh, view when they stated under the topic One Human Race that the peoples of the earth are a single family and have a common origin, and the races of mankind are what the Bible says they are. Brothers, in their bodies, is the record of their brotherhood. One major factor that spelled the final blow to the racist eugenic movement was the, quote, worldwide reaction to the eugenical horrors, unquote, that occurred in Nazi Germany, as well as the effects of the American civil rights movement in the 1960s. Another factor was the major scientific research Proving racist views were wrong. Bergman writes in final conclusion just as we would expect, given that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of the Almighty Creator, the scientific evidence confirms what Genesis has taught mankind for at least 3,500 years. There's only one race. We're all descended from Adam and equal before God, as we are made in the image of God. As Adam's offspring, we inherited a sin nature, and as a result of our own rebellion, we are in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, regardless of skin color or language, or any other differences we may have. And that's the note I'd like to end on. You know, if if, if you're if you're listening to this, you're not a Christian. You you, you uh, maybe you were raised on these evolution ideas. Maybe you stumbled across my podcast. I don't know. I'm going to link you to an article that I want you to read on my website. It's called, Why Trust God? Why Trust God? That'll be in the show notes. I want you to read it. But I want you to understand that this idea of race and this idea of one person better, this is not not a Christian idea. We are all equal in the sight of God. In fact, the ground is level. You might have heard it said. It's an old Christian saying. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And it just simply means that the only differentiator between one man is and another, really, the only, the only, the only distinction between one man and another man that really matters, is who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God Himself took on the form of a man, two thousand years ago, came down, lived the perfect, sinless life, and paid the penalty for our sin wrought by Adam and Eve in the garden around 6,100 years ago. And Jesus Christ took that penalty. He was a real person in history. By the way, that's that's verified. The most atheistic scholars in the world will tell you that. Jesus was a real person in history. He claimed to be God. He was crucified for claiming to be God. All the evidence suggests that he was found, or that that he was uh, not found. The empty tomb was discovered by women three days later, and it's uh, reported that over 515 individuals saw him after his resurrection. That's preserved in an oral tradition uh, you can read about in 1 Corinthians 15, the first few verses that the Apostle Paul preserved. that has been dated to within a few months of the crucifixion event itself. Uh, Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He was also the creator of the world. John 1 teaches us that without him was not anything made that was made in the beginning was the word verse 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth look if if you don't know jesus today if you're if you're not saved you don't know what it means to be saved you don't know what it means to be a christian then you need to reach out to our ministry go to that page why trust god follow the instructions there reach out to our ministry you can find instructions on that at the bottom look i i i just I, it's so important to me today if you want to know how to be saved if you want to if you if you want to reject these ideas that that we are just some sort of higher evolved animal and, and you want to learn the real history of humanity, and you want to uh, know what it means to be a child of God, to be really, to, to be made in the image of God, to be a special creation, uh, I, I wish you'd just pray with us this morning. You would go uh, find that, uh, that, that page I'm referring to on my website. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link you uh, to it. I just pray that you would find that and that you would Consider Christ. Consider Christ. He can make all the difference in your life. He can, he can, he can change it. Uh, uh, Ravi Zacharias, a, a, a well-known Christian uh, speaker, teaches that God did not come to make bad people good. If you're a bad person worried about becoming a good person, forget about it. You have no power to do that on your own. That can only come through Christ because Christ did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And he can do that for you this morning. What are you waiting for? Place your trust in Him. Uh, I did many years ago, twenty-four years ago. It's the greatest decision uh, that I ever. I've not regretted it one day. Has the has life been easy? No, of course not. Life's been hard. Life's been hard, but I've had a friend walk through it with me the whole entire time. And uh, it's the, the Christian life is 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 unparalleled in experience. And uh, it's really, uh, it's the truth. That's the fact of the matter is. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an experience. It's the truth. And I I pray that you would uh, just consider that truth with me this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we certainly do love you. We thank you for your special creation. We thank you for the emphasis in creation that you placed on us. We thank you for creating us in your image we thank you, Father, that we're not just a higher evolved animal. We thank you that you've given us life. You've breathed uh, in our nostrils the breath of life. We became a living soul. You uh, you, you, fashioned us after yourself. We are fearfully and, and wonderfully made. Uh, Lord, scientists have not even begun to explore the depths of even how the, the, the most single... Uh, uh, Uncomplex cell works. There's not even a such thing. Uh, even, even the smallest, minute details of our body are more complex than any human has been able to re produce. And God, we know that it was not nature who selected that. We know that it was not nature who 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 was smart enough to to create us in this intricate way. Lord, we know that it was you. We know that it that the, the language of DNA could only come from an intelligent creator. We know that the the bodies, the solar bodies that we see in the heaven could only have been placed out there by a powerful force of magnitude, Lord, a force of energy that that uh, had to come into being at some time. And the Bible says you created it out of nothing. You spoke and the world's we're framed by the words of your mouth. Oh, Father, we bow in reverence before you this morning. We love you, and we thank you for even deciding to create us. You said in your word that you did that for your pleasure and for your honor and for your glory and according to your power, Lord, and we're just that. We just stand in awe in amazement of what you have given to us. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for sending your Son to die on a cross for me and for my family and for the whole entire world. Thank you for extending your hand of salvation to us, Lord. Thank you for just loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for choosing us when we had no right, uh, no uh, no, no inclinations to you Lord, the Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sin that and you reached out your hand you you, 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 you you sent a preacher to us, you sent your word to us, you you, you allowed us to hear your gospel so that we might respond and accept free gift of salvation. We thank you for that this morning. God, I pray if there's one listening who needs to make that decision today, that you would speak to them through your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that you would convict their hearts of their sin, help them to understand their sinful condition and their need for a Savior, and reach out to us, Lord, that we might lead them to the cross and to you. Thank you, Father, again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me this week. What heavy lesson this week, and I'm I'm sorry about that, but it's so important that we that we understand in this in this world of Darwinian ideas, it's so important that we understand the true biblical origin of humanity is the only one uh, that is right, and, and it's the uh, it's the it is the true origin of humanity. All right. I thank you so much for uh, for 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 joining me this week. I uh, hope you'll join us next week. I think we got two more lessons to go. I believe in our biblical origin of humanity series, and uh, and we'll knock those out over the next few weeks. and uh, And we will move on to something different. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye bye.